This is a Triple J podcast. Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack Podcast. Should gambling ads be banned outright? Because a big inquiry has recommended that happen within three years, and now politicians are fighting over it. Australians are the biggest gamblers in the world, so what do we do to stop lives being destroyed and protect young people from falling into addiction? That's going to come up later. We're going to speak about this. You'll hear a powerful first-hand account of gambling addiction. We're going to speak with an expert who's going to tell us just how powerful gambling ads can be. But first, the ticket sale that stopped the country. Hack. That was the most stressful thing I've ever gone through when I got tickets. (laughs) On Triple Jack. Four million. Four million Australians desperately waiting it out, panicking trying to get hold of Taylor Swift tickets today. That's what we're being told, that it broke a national record for the sheer number of Aussies trying to buy concert tickets. The demand for this tour is nuts. Taylor Swift's only putting on shows in Sydney and Melbourne, and so many of you want to be there. If you were one of the millions of Aussies lining up, how did you go? How was the stress? How are you feeling now? Message in 0439757555. You can call in too, 1300 0555536. It's not just here in Australia, though. Like, we've already seen eye-watering resale prices around the world. Like, in and Brazil, they've just introduced this so-called Taylor Swift law to deal with ticket scalping. In a minute, we'll speak with a consumer expert about the situation here in Australia. But first, Hack's Taylor Swift expert, producer Hannah Palmer, has this first-hand account of the ticket war. Here's how it all went down. I've been a fan of Taylor Swift since she dropped the song Teardrops on My Guitar. And I used to cry in bed at night with my headphones in, wondering why the boy I loved didn't love me back. It's pretty fair to say I'm an OG Swifty and had been waiting patiently for international tour dates for the Errors tour to drop. So when Taylor Swift announced she was heading down under in February 2024, it was the news I'd been waiting for. And I wasn't the only one. Oh my God! This is not a drill. My hands are shaking. Taylor Swift announcing her tour coming to Australia and then only putting on shows in Sydney and Melbourne? Why? Yep, there's been a massive amount of demand for these shows. In Monday's pre-sale for fans with a special credit card, both the credit card and Ticketek websites crashed and Frontier Touring, the tour's promoter, told fans to stay calm and be kind to one another because it was seeing historically unprecedented demand for tickets. Fans had even taken it upon themselves to help other fans secure tickets. One of them is Maddie Pogue. Her TikToks have gone viral. Let's run through how to get tickets for the Errors Tour in the Australian pre-sales. The best advice that I have and that I could find from other sources to help you be as prepared as you can be because it's going to be wild. It's going to be a great war. She's already one of the lucky ones who secured pre-sale tickets earlier in the week. My mum and I got tickets for a night two in Sydney um, and we got the VIP It's Been a Long Time Coming tickets, which I literally, like, I still haven't recovered from that. And today, after passing on a heap of chain TikToks for good luck... I'm Taylor Swift. And if you hear this message, you'll get heiress tour tickets. I took on some of Maddie's advice. I went into the Great War, attempting to secure tickets as part of today's pre-sale. All right, here we go. One minute... My heart is beating so fast. Oh my God, it's 10 o'clock. I sat in the queue for three hours for Sydney tickets. I even had to take a toilet break halfway through and called in back up. Hello. Hello, I need a pee so bad. Can you come sit in and just like be me for two seconds? Yeah. So what do I have to do? 
So basically, any tickets, four tickets, but. Oh my God. Oh, I feel nervous about this. Should I just get out of this browser while Hannah's in the bathroom? Would she ever talk to me again? No. After some of the most stressful hours of my life, Ticketek posted on their socials that the Sydney presale was sold out and I was ticketless. But I get it. The demand for this tour is nuts. The Errors Tour even broke a national record today, with about 800,000 Aussies wanting pre-sale tickets. And in the US, when tickets went on sale late last year, Ticketmaster's system was overwhelmed by demand and resulted in a lot of fans not even having a chance to buy tickets. Maddie Pogue reckons so many people want tickets for a couple of different reasons. Obviously, like, the show that she puts on as an artist is, like, incredible and, like, unmatched. You can tell, like, from, like, the details that she puts into her shows, like, everyone enjoys it. It's not just something that only fans would enjoy. It's, like, a spectacle. And then I guess on, like, a deeper level for, like, Taylor Swift fans, you know, there's people that have grown up with her, like myself, and especially the eras to her, like, getting to relive those albums that, like, you grew up with and those songs that, like, literally got you through, like, I don't know, like, your first breakup. There's something really special about that. If you aren't one of the 455,000 Aussies able to head along to the tour, 1.7% of the country's population, according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, you might want to try your luck buying tickets on a reseller site. Ticket sculping has already been happening this week, with tickets from Monday's pre-sale being resold for about three grand on third-party sites. The New South Wales and Victorian governments do have anti-sculping laws in place, which means tickets can't be resold for more than 10% of their original price. But the live music industry wants to see a crackdown on computer bots that buy tickets in bulk and resell them. I'm pretty devastated I might not get the chance to buy tickets to the Errors Tour. But I'm not the only one. There's still another Swifty out there who doesn't know whether he's going at all. I certainly would like to see her. I am a fan. I wish my diary allowed me to sit on a phone for a few hours <laughs> trying to get a ticket. <laughs> I have a very full diary as I do every day. Hack on Triple Jack. Yeah, wow. Who knew? Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, a folklore girly. <laughs> Got pretty um, broad music taste there. Hack producer Hannah Palmer's first-hand account. As you heard, I was recruited in to help as well. No luck, though. I'm keen to hear from you. We've already got a lot of messages coming through. Someone says productivity went down to zero at work. Only a few people were lucky in the office to score tickets. Someone else waited in the lounge for nine and a half hours, still currently in it, just to see if there are any scraps left over. Never got in. We've got someone on the line, Tina from Brisbane. Tina, did you manage to get your hands on some tickets? Well, I thought that I'd got my hands on tickets. I'd waited 50 minutes online, but refreshing, you know, doing its thing. Yeah. And the tickets, four tickets showed in my inbox oh. and went to hit pay and it glitched oh, and they disappeared no. for B reserve because there were no A reserves left. Yeah, okay. $1,200 worth of tickets gone before my eyes. What a nightmare, Tina. And I imagine there were a lot of similar experiences around the country. We're hearing 4 million, I don't know, people, users, 4 million um, different kinds of attempts, it's fair to say, people trying to get tickets. Tina, thanks for you know sharing your experience. Let's get into some of the issues around this because we're already hearing a lot about ticket scalping bots. Apparently, there were more, a half, more than half a billion bot attempts blocked from buying tickets today. With us now is Jani Blakali. He's with consumer advocacy group Choice. Hey, Jani, thanks for joining us on Hack. 
No worries after a very stressful afternoon. Yeah, it was a big day for you as well. Were you trying to get tickets? I was trying to get tickets, yeah. <laughs> Between that... doing media interviews and getting in the Taylor Swift queue. And how'd you go? Um, I was unsuccessful. Okay, right. Oh, like most Australians, the vast majority of people did not get tickets. Today was mind-blowing. You know, the, the sheer number. Have we already started to see ticket scalping this week? Yeah, so we saw on Monday, within a few hours of those very limited VIP uh, ticket packages going on sale, um, we we saw reselling on websites like Viagogo for up to $2,600 in, and other people spotted them for above $3,000 in, in different wow. cases. So um, these are huge markups that are well above the 10% uh, of the original sales price of which you're legally allowed to resell a ticket. Um, so clearly in breach of the laws. Interesting. I mean, it seems like, well, obviously it's an issue right around the world. I was speaking before about new laws they've brought in in Brazil, but it seems like here the governments have been playing catch up. Like Victoria's now designated these shows as major events, meaning the anti-scalping laws apply. But I read that that doesn't apply to the tickets that were on sale earlier in the week. Yeah. So Victoria has this kind of, I guess you'd call it a loophole in the law that only events that the minister designates as major events um, have this anti-ticket scalping protection for consumers. Um, and that wasn't done until Tuesday afternoon. So that meant that that all this ticket scalping that was going on on Monday and Tuesday morning um, was totally legal at the time. Um, we also, yeah, we've, we have been playing catch up for a long time on this. So WA only brought in anti-ticket scalping legislation in 2021 in response to the AFL grand final being held over there. Um, And we think that instead of each state and territory kind of having different laws with different quirks and loopholes in them, uh, there needs to be a national approach to this. So between the states, and we'll talk here about New South Wales and Victoria because that's where the shows are being held. What is the difference? Like in New South Wales, for instance, what are the rules? So in New South Wales, the law prevents the posting or the reselling of tickets um, for above 10% of the original sales price. Um, and But that applies to all events, whether they're major or not. So, um, you know, your smaller concerts, um, things like that, it, the law just automatically applies to all all events. Where in Victoria, that, that they also have the 10% rule um but it only applies when after a minute the minister has designated the event a major event so you're calling for these nationally consistent laws is there any particular way choice would like to see them look um i mean I mean, that would be up for the policymakers to get into the details of it and obviously the states and territories as well would have a say but um i think it would just give certainty to people as well. Like we know with Taylor Swift, for example, there's a lot of fans who are going to be traveling interstate from the other states that don't have shows to see her shows in Victoria and New South Wales. Um, and they might not know the intricacies of the different state laws and how they differ from their state laws. And we just think that a national approach would give certainty to to buyers, but also to people who legitimately buy tickets and can no longer attend for whatever reason and might want to sell them on as in a, a legitimate way. Yeah. As a consumer advocacy group, is there any advice for people out there, of which I'm sure there are so many who are desperately trying to get their hands on tickets still? They're going to be trying anything. What would you say to those people? Uh, I would say that even though it's really tempting um, to steer clear of websites like Viagogo, like the Ticket Merchant, that is selling these um scalped tickets at inflated prices because 
we've heard countless stories of people who have paid uh, hugely inflated prices for concerts only to never receive their ticket or to receive fake tickets or to be turned away at the venue, which um, the law in New South Wales allows as well. So, um, you know, even though it, it might be really tempting um, and you might be willing to pay $3,000 to see Taylor Swift, uh, you might not end up getting what you pay for. Interesting. All right. Well, we'll definitely be keeping on this because it's not all over. We've still got Friday to go yes, and there'll be so, <laughs> so many people desperate to get their hands on tickets, including producer Hannah, who's just really giving me a look right now saying, I won't be working Friday. I'll be I'll be in those queues. Johnny Placali from Choice. Huge day. Thank you very much for coming on Hack. No worries. Thank you. We've got some messages coming through. Someone says, okay, guys, I just got tickets now. VIP, be reserved. So it's not sold out in Melbourne, that's for sure. We just hung in there. That was from Lisa. Another person says, what a waste of money and time. All for bragging rights. Better to see an up-and-coming act rather than Taylor Swift. Someone's, you know, very strong opinion there. Another person says, Taylor Swift's issues sound just like my issues dealing with Commonwealth Bank this week after banking systems went down. I hear you on that one. And another person says, I got in after one hour but was told my card didn't work. There's some heartbreaking stories out there. Look, it's it's a big one. We're going to keep you across it and let you know how things turn out. Hack. Australians hate gambling ads and they particularly hate gambling ads being directed at their children. A new report handed down today found children are being groomed to gamble by ads and video games. The wages I've got in this job, I've already lost them. And now I don't know what to do. It just gets me every time. On Triple J. Do you know how much Australians lose on gambling every year? $25 billion. Mind-blowing. It represents the biggest per capita losses for gambling in the world. It's a huge issue. And politicians have been looking into it. And today, a parliamentary committee's recommended that the government ban gambling ads within three years. It's because children and young people are being caught up in this addiction early on. And there are some restrictions in place right now. Like gambling ads can't be aired within five minutes of a sporting event starting or finishing. But these politicians have found out that's not enough because ads outside of those times have exploded. In a bit, we're going to speak to an expert about just what the research tells us about gambling ads. But first, a personal story. Hacks Tassie reporter April McLennan's been catching up with Mark Kempster about how his seven-year online gambling addiction consumed his life. He thinks there's a lot more that the government should be doing to protect Australians. People have talked about losing loved ones, that the people have committed suicide, people have, have, have uh, living on the streets now and they've lost family members, because, lost their families because of what's going, what their addictions. So I, I, I lost a lot of money, I lost $100,000. That was the main thing that's really affected me. I've got, I haven't got any savings now. Like we've, again, I'm lucky I didn't access any of my partner's money or anything like that, but I've put myself massively on the back foot moving forward, trying to rebuild my own finances. Mark, can you tell me about when you first started gambling? I began gambling at a very young age, probably about 16 years old, um, when I was playing, going through the, the age groups of footy, I suppose, playing with the older boys at that time. It was a hobby to begin with. I'd bet on the weekends. I saw how much enjoyment the, the older boys got out of it, I suppose, and that was back before there was um, betting apps on your phone. So I was at the like sneaking up to the pub and those type of things and, and having a bet up there. 
you know, you said you'd sneak down to the pub and put a couple of bets on. How did that change for you when you got this smartphone and there was an app? Oh, it was the ease of access. Like, you could sit there, I could sit there with my friends and bet without them knowing. I could sit there in the house when I was with home with my family or then when I moved out with my partner eventually. I could sit there and bet on my phone without them knowing. The absolute ease of access that I had, have a gambling system in my pocket that I could get a bet on within 20 seconds across multiple companies. I had accounts with probably 10 to 15 companies by the time I finished gambling through my addiction. But like the absolute ease of access, it's pulled out, chuck a bet on within 10 seconds. Before you know it, you've lost $100 within 10 minutes. And along the way, although you could do it quite covertly with your phone, did, you know, family members or your partner start to realise what was going on and tried to intervene? I think my partner had an idea what was going on, probably not for a while. Like I said, this went for about 10 years, this did. So probably to begin with, it's something I felt I hid okay, but I, I completely changed across that 10 years. I became a shell of the person I once was. I became a really angry, insecure person. I'd vent on social media, trying to make other people feel as bad as I was feeling and, and, and silly things like that. Like upon reflection, why did you become the shell of the person? Was it like from losing the money or was it because you couldn't stop you getting these ads? What was going through your mind at that point? I was trying to cover up everything I was doing. So I was betting on credit cards um, out of my own savings and never got to a point luckily where I was taking money from a partner or anyone else, but it was always my own money that I would end up losing. Then I was trying to cover that my own losses by moving money around my own accounts and credit and that type of thing. So that made me really really insecure. I suppose that someone was going to find out what was going on and then I would, when someone would question me about those things, it would then make me very angry about that and I would I would then obviously act out, I suppose, in terms of trying to, to cover things up and getting really, really angry about things. But yeah, having, having the ads constantly bombarding you in the face as well when you're trying to break the addiction, that was the other hard part of it as well. You don't, at the moment, you, like I grew up loving sport. I, I love watching footy, I love watching cricket, golf, whatever I want to watch on TV, but it got to a point where I, I I got so angry watching the, the TV because I knew, watching the sport on TV because I knew how triggering they could be for me to then go and bet straight away. I'd see some odds on TV and then go, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I still go and put the bet on because of the way my brain was working through the addiction that I couldn't control that impulse to go and do that. So that would make me angry as well. And then I'd obviously lose, chase my losses, make myself more angry and then get extremely worried about how I was going to cover up the next lot of losses I'd had. Look, Mark, obviously this gambling addiction had a pretty tight grip on you and on your life, but some of these companies actually do have a take a break option. Did you ever try to use that? Throughout my time when I was gambling, I, I knew I had a problem for the last three or four years, heavily, like really badly had a problem, and I tried to use the take a break functions on these apps. They, they're set up that you can actually take like one week or two weeks or a month or six months, whatever you want to do. So I would try and go, okay, I'm going to give myself two weeks off here, go cold turkey, try and get myself right. Every time, well not every time, but nearly every time I'd come back from my breaks, these companies would send you inducement emails to say, hey, um, not welcome back, but hey, here's a $20 bonus bet in your account. They wouldn't tell you why I was there, but it was always there when you came back in. So I, I from one company in particular, I, I stopped, I took a break 18 times and it was allowed back every time and still got the same inducements and promotions a normal gambler would get. So you'd think after 18 times that this company, if they had any duty of care to a customer, would go, hang on, 
there's a pattern of behaviour here. This person's got a problem, but not once was I contacted by this company. And this is, yeah, one company was 18 times, but there was multiple companies I did this with where no action was ever taken by these companies to touch base with me and say, talk to me about the issue I was obviously having, which you could see with the pattern of behaviour that was going on. Obviously, we do have this inquiry into online gambling at, at the moment. For you, like, what would you like to see come out of that? What are you calling to happen? A ban of gambling advertising is what really needs to happen. There's nearly a thousand ads on on free-to-air TV every day. That doesn't even include the mass amount of ads that are on pay TV and social media that we get bombarded with every day. So gambling is an adult product. It needs to be treated as such. It's no different to alcohol advertising. It's no different to tobacco advertising. We don't show that anywhere at the moment. Gambling is no different. It needs to be taken off TVs, taken off radio, taken off social media. Having something like that in place through this parliamentary inquiry that's what they really need to look at I think. What would you like to say to someone who may be going through this at the moment they're in the grips of a gambling addiction and they're trying to get out what's your advice to someone like that? If you are struggling with an addiction at the moment with the gambling addiction just speak up ask for help the people around you will help you if your friends will help you your family will help you there is so many people in, around you who will help you. There's, there's organisations you can go and see. So don't try and do it by yourself. Just make sure you get help to, to deal with it. Not easy, but you will get through it if you do get the help you need. Hack on Triple J. That was Mark speaking with Hack reporter April McLennan about his experiences with gambling. Remember, if you're struggling and you need some help, you can call the Gambling Help online hotline 1800 858 858 or Lifeline 13 11 14. We've got some messages coming through. Someone says, Hey, it's Alex from Nam. Gambling ads should absolutely be banned. It's ridiculous that it'll take three years. Surely it could occur almost immediately. It's not enough. Someone else. How is gambling advertising even legal, period? We know it's harmful and we know that Australia is one of the worst affected countries in the world. That was from Carla in Sydney. A lot of the same similar kind of messages coming through on this one. Let's get into it a bit more. Associate Professor Alex Russell is a gambling researcher at Central Queensland Uni. Hey, Alex, thanks for coming on Hack. We just heard a really personal story about gambling. So many devastating accounts have been heard by this parliamentary inquiry. It's recommended gambling ads be banned, you know, within three years. Did these recommendations surprise you? They've gone pretty hard, um, actually, which is which is surprising. You know, often we see a fair bit of hesitance in uh, from politicians in terms of uh, addressing these things. You know, gambling leads to a lot of tax revenue for for governments. But as they said in the the foreword of the report, they've decided that enough is enough. So, a lot of these recommendations are you know pretty strong recommendations. It's uh, it's pretty good to see. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens now because we have heard politicians kind of defer and say, oh, we'll. we'll wait till we see what this committee recommends and then we'll make a decision. I want to dig down into gambling ads though, because it feels like they're everywhere and they're also increasing that there's more and more of them. Does the research back that up? Yeah, so there's a study uh, that was published in 2019 um, based on data from 2016, which is a little bit old. You know, there's been some changes to to gambling regulations and and advertising regulations since, but it's the most recent data that we've got. And it shows that, you know, on average, there were 374 gambling ads per day on free-to-air TV. And it's hard to get a sense of whether that's a lot or not, you know, how many ads are there. But uh, to put it into perspective, that was five times as many ads per day as alcohol 
alcohol. And look, we're a nation of drinkers. So, you know, that should tell us something. We're also a nation of gamblers, though. We're, we're the biggest losers worldwide per capita. So it's not surprising that we're seeing lots of ads there. That's so interesting. I mean, I saw this statistic that seems really wild, saying on average Australians gamble 20% more online than any other country. Do we know what that's down to? Uh, uh, access is a is a big thing. You know, we, we are a very sporty kind of nation. We're, surprisingly, we're a little restricted in terms of online gambling compared to a lot of other countries. So other countries do have online casinos and online pokies, and we don't have that. So, you know, it's potentially surprising that we gamble that much, but we are a really big nation of gamblers. So, you know, on average, we lose over $1,000 per head, per adult head, per year. Um, and that's taking into account that only about half of us gamble. What this really comes down to, though, is that there's a fairly small amount of us gambling a lot. Has there been much research into exposure to ads? Like what kind of impacts they're actually having? Yeah, so uh, Professor Nerali Hing from CQ University led a study on this uh, a few years ago. This was funded by the Victorian Research, uh, Victorian Responsible Gambling Foundation. Um, and it was looking at the ways that ads can impact on our behaviour. Uh, we looked at this in a few different ways. One of them, we sort of followed people um, every few days with a survey and we sort of said, how much are you going to spend in the next 24 hours? And then a day later we'd say, how much did you actually spend? And how many ads did you see? And so we could line up, you know, what they said they were going to do versus what they actually did and see if that lined up with, you know, exposure to ads. And we found that on days when people are exposed to more ads, they were far more likely to bet when they told us they weren't going to and bet more than they intended to as well. So, you know, people are seeing these ads and taking up the offers in them, you know, advertising works. It shouldn't be a surprising thing, you know, that there's a reason that so much is spent on advertising. Um, but not only that, it can affect the, the things that people bet on as well. So often in ads, there are these things like inducements, you know, if your team's ahead at halftime but loses, uh, we'll give you bonus bets or something to, to make up for it. So these types of inducements, when, when people see these in ads as well, they're more likely to take riskier bets so bets that are um, you know, less likely to come through. So not only do ads make you, you know, bet more than you intended to or bet when you weren't intending to, it makes you more likely to bet on something that's going to lose too. So, uh, you know, th those effects are not immediately obvious. A lot of people sort of feel like I'm in control of my behaviour. I'll just take up this ad if I want to. But they're advertising things that are in their favour. So, you know, it, it's all stacked against you. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with gambling researcher, Associate Professor Alex Russell, just about these recommendations that we've seen come down from politicians about banning gambling ads potentially within the next few years. We're waiting to see what politicians are going to decide. Alex, it's not just the ads that are popping up though, right? It's direct marketing that's targeting yeah. people too. Yeah, so a lot of the ads that, you know, people are, are upset about are things like ads on TV, uh, ads on billboards, you know, at, at grounds, like at stadiums or on the, the playing jerseys of, you know, footy players and things like that. You know, a lot of people are upset about those because they're 
first up, they're everywhere. Um, and second, they're not particularly targeted. So, you know, kids potentially have a lot of exposure to them and, and things like that. Um, there's a different type of marketing, which is called direct marketing or, or push marketing, where uh, you, you might get like a personalized email from a, a betting company saying, hey, you know, you tend to like to bet on the state of origin. Reminder, it's coming up and, and here's an offer for you as well. Uh, might be an SMS as well. Um, and SMSs are, are pretty effective. People open SMSs more than they do emails um, and open them more quickly. Um, and now with, you know, push notifications on phones, we're seeing a lot of that too. So this is harder to regulate because it's sent directly to people. It's not public. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the changes that we're talking about here are changes to more that public advertising. But these direct messages have many of the same kind of impacts, like, you know, betting when you're not intending to or betting more than you intended to. So need to make sure we're looking after these as well. Yeah, and I mean, it's like it's ruthless, some of the stuff. Like, I, I know that I uh, took part in some online betting years ago and haven't mm. touched it since, but I'm still being bombarded with messages and it yeah. surprises me from kind of different platforms all over the place. And I'm sure a lot of other people uh, understand exactly what I'm saying there. People who experience harm from gambling tend to have accounts with more of these operators as well. So it's not just, you know, one company sending you messages and they do tend to send a fair few of them. It's coming from multiple companies as well. So, you know, there's even more um, opportunities, if you like, to take up the, the ads there. Um, but that, you know, you can also see fairly clearly how that's going to lead to more problems for someone who's hoping to, you know, keep things under control a bit more. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens next. A lot of people are watching the pollies. We'll be asking them lots of questions, but we do appreciate your take. Associate Professor Alex Russell, thanks so much for coming on Hack. Thanks for having me. And a heap of messages coming through on the text line. Someone messaging in about Mark's story that we heard a bit earlier. They say that man spoke so well and honest. I hope someone listens to what he has to say. Another person says, I'm a recovered gambler and I still get calls weekly from a big betting company about what races are on on the weekend. Why are employees of these companies ringing people and promoting the gambling? It's not just the ads on TV. It's the forcefulness of a phone call. Yeah, and that's what we were just hearing from Alex. Another person says, I work in advertising and completely agree with some tighter restrictions on wagering advertising. There would be huge revenue implications to completely ban it. That was from Jackson. Another person, look, I think it's great we're reducing the amount of gambling ads, but it's extremely ironic as alcohol ads run rampant. And someone else says, yeah, they can ban vapes overnight, but it's going to take three years to ban gambling ads. What's with that? So many similar messages. Usually we have mixed opinions on the text line, but for this one, very similar messages. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time. Hack on Triple Jack.